This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tremendous Trifles by G. K. Chesterton. Chapter 27 Some Policemen and a Moral. The other day I was nearly arrested by two excited policemen in a wood in Yorkshire. I was on a holiday and was engaged in that rich and intricate mass of pleasures, duties, and discoveries, which, for the keeping off of the profane, we disguise by the esoteric name of nothing. At the moment in question I was throwing a big Swedish knife at a tree, practicing, alas, without success that useful trick of knife-throwing by which men murder each other in Stevenson's romances. Suddenly the forest was full of two policemen. There was something about their appearance in and relation to the greenwood that reminded me, I know not how, of some happy Elizabethan comedy. They asked what the knife was, who I was, why I was throwing it, what my address was, trade, religion, opinions on the Japanese war, name a favorite cat, and so on. They also said I was damaging the tree, which was, I am sorry to say, not true, because I could not hit it. The peculiar philosophical importance, however, of the incident was this. After some half-hour's animated conversation, the exhibition of an envelope, an unfinished poem which was read with great care, and I trust with some profit, and one or two other subtle detective strokes, the elder of the two knights became convinced that I really was what I professed to be, that I was a journalist, that I was on the daily news. This was the real stroke. They were shaken with a terror common to all tyrants, that I lived in a particular place as stated, and that I was stopping with particular people in Yorkshire who happened to be wealthy and well-known in the neighborhood. In fact, the leading constable became so genial and complimentary at last that he ended up by representing himself as a reader of my work, and when that was said, everything was settled. They acquitted me and let me pass. But I said, what of this mangled tree? It was to the rescue of that dryad tethered to the earth that you rushed like knight errants. You, the higher humanitarians, are not deceived by the seeming stillness of the green things, a stillness like the stillness of the cataract, a headlong and crashing silence. You know that a tree is but a creature tied to the ground by one leg. You will not let assassins with their Swedish daggers shed the green blood of such being. But if so, why am I not in custody? Where are my jives? Produce from some portion of your persons my mouldy straw and my grated window. The facts of which I have just convinced you, that my name is Chesterton, that I am a journalist, that I am living with the well-known and philanthropic Mr. Blank of Ilkley, cannot have anything to do with the question of whether I have been guilty of cruelty to vegetables. The tree is none the less damaged, even though it may reflect with a dark pride that it was wounded by a gentleman connected with the liberal press. Wounds in the bark do not more rapidly close up because they are inflicted by people who are stopping with Mr. Blank of Ilkley. That tree, the ruin of its former self, 
the wreck of what it once was a giant of the forest, now splintered and laid low by the brute superiority of a Swedish knife. That tragedy, constable, cannot be wiped out even by stopping for several months more with some wealthy person. It is incredible that you have no legal claim to arrest even the most august and fashionable persons on this charge. For if so, why did you interfere with me at all? I made the later and larger part of this speech to the silent wood, for the two policemen had vanished almost as quickly as they came. It is very possible, of course, that they were fairies. In that case, the somewhat illogical character of their view of crime, law, and personal responsibility would find a bright and elvish explanation. Perhaps, if I had lingered in the glade till moonrise, I might have seen rings of tiny policemen dancing on the sward, or running about with glow-worm belts, arresting grasshoppers for damaging blades of grass. By taking the bolder hypothesis that they were really policemen, I find myself in a certain difficulty. I was certainly accused of something which was either an offense or was not. I was let off because I proved I was a guest at a big house. The inference seems painfully clear. Either it is not a proof of infamy to throw a knife about in a lonely wood, or else it is a proof of innocence to know a rich man. Suppose a very poor person, poorer even than a journalist, a navvy or unskilled laborer tramping in search of work, often changing his lodgings, often perhaps failing in his rent. Suppose he had been intoxicated with the green gaiety of the ancient wood. Suppose he had thrown knives at trees, and could give no description of a dwelling-place, except that he had been fired out of the last. As I walked home through a cloudy and purple twilight, I wondered how he would have got on. Moral We English are always boasting that we are very illogical. There is no great harm in that. There is no subtle spiritual evil in the fact that people always brag about their vices. It is when they begin to brag about their virtues that they become insufferable. But there is this to be said, that illogicality in your constitution or your legal methods may become very dangerous if there happens to be some great national vice or national temptation, which many take advantage of the chaos. Similarly, a drunkard ought to have strict rules and hours. A temperate man may obey his instincts. Take some absurd anomaly in British law. The fact, for instance, that a man ceasing to be an M.P. has to become a steward of the Chiltern Hundreds, an office which I believe was intended originally to keep down some wild robbers near Chiltern, wherever that is. Obviously this kind of illogicality does not matter very much for the simple reason that there is no great temptation to take advantage of it. Men retiring from Parliament do not have any furious impulse to hunt robbers in the hills. But if there were a real danger that wise, white-haired, venerable politicians taking leave of public life would desire to do this, if, for instance, there were any money in it, then clearly if we went on saying that the illogicality did not matter when, as a matter of fact, Sir Michael Hicks Beach was hanging Shiltern shopkeepers every day and taking their property, we should be very silly. The illogicality would matter, for it would have become an excuse for indulgence. It is only the very good, 
who can live riotous lives. Now this is exactly what is present in cases of police investigation, such as the one narrated above. There enters into such things a great national sin, a far greater sin than drink, the habit of respecting a gentleman. Snobbishness has, like drink, a kind of grand poetry, and snobbishness has this peculiar and devilish quality of evil that it is rampant among very kindly people with open hearts and houses. But it is our great English vice to be watched more fiercely than smallpox. If a man wished to hear the worst and wickedest thing in England summed up in casual English words, he would not find it in any foul oaths or ribald quarrelling. He would find it in the fact that the best kind of working man, when he wishes to praise anyone, calls him a gentleman. It never occurs to him that he might as well call him a marquis or a privy councillor, that he is simply naming a rank or class, not a phrase for a good man. And this perennial temptation to a shameful admiration must, and I think does, constantly come in and distort and poison our police methods. In this case we must be logical and exact, for we have to keep watch upon ourselves. The power of wealth, and that power at its vilest, is increasing in the modern world. A very good and just people, without this temptation, might not need, perhaps, to make clear rules and systems to guard themselves against the power of our great financiers. But that is because a very just people would have shot them long ago from mere native good feeling. The end of chapter 27